Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing tonight, buddy? Uh, do, doing good, man. Uh, the 49ers didn't play today, so I had absolutely zero stressors throughout the day. Um, Look at you. Uh, fantasy team, uh, if I should, well, you, you should go look at the league and see how many IRs or PUPs or no games this week that are on my bench. And I still broke a hundred with guys like Tim Patrick, um, Robbie Anderson and Demetric Felton. Uh, Robbie Anderson saved your day on that last drive. <laughs> touchdown catch. Uh, Patrick had a touchdown too. So, I'm probably not going to win, but the boys were giving some effort out there. A little golf clap for uh, a little exactly. A for effort. Boy, oh, I'm, I'm watching my Braves uh, try to put the, the Dodgers Ooh. in an 0 2 hole. Yeah. Uh, I got to look at my Colts uh, finally get back on track against the Texans today. Uh, I myself have been under the weather today, but. I'm here tonight. We're going to get this done. It's going to be, I, I, it's not going to be fun, um, nope. but, but it's going to be, uh, I think, necessary. And I think we're going to talk about some things that really need to be said and kind of push forward, I think, on where we need to go. Um, I, I, we're not going to talk a lot of specifics about the game just because nope. I think everyone kind of has rehashed that enough in the last couple of days. We're going to get talk a little high level about what we saw and what we thought, but uh, most of this is going to be a temperature check of this uh, era of, of, of Hokie football. And it's, it's it, we're going to, we're going to have a quote on a, a little later after we discuss the game for, from the post game. And then there's an arc there and there are points we're going to hit all along. And, but before we get into the, getting upset news um we did gain a commitment over the last week um right here from the 804 right here down in chester the five and one thomas dale team malachi madison six three three ten i do not think at least the weight part is incorrect seeing some of his videos i think he's ever bit of a 300 pound kid um he's a three-star guy uh yep. and you know uh two guys that we'll talk about later with uh ryan smith and jc price were his primary and secondary recruiters um what are you seeing from this big guy from those uh, highlight tape ron uh he's a guy that's already built exactly what you want for this type of system that can still he's got he's got a motor in, inside the tackles there he can move um he'll get after you um, and like I said, I, the thing I like the most is that he's coming in size ready, ready to go. Um, probably even a little better shape than even when, uh, when Fuga came in at a similar yep. size. So I think he's a guy that probably could push for some rotational snaps year one and, you know, by year two, two and three is going to be making a significant impact, uh, for the defense. Awesome to hear that. And, and again, another Virginia kid. Um, and golly, I'm looking here now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of the 23 commits we have are in state guys, obviously, a couple in the top 10. 
And as much as we've lauded and we're going to absolutely rip some things apart tonight, you know, I, I really say thanks to Justin Hamilton, J.C. Price, Ryan Smith, Adam Lechtenberg, we're still 19th in the country. And I think if you look at the arc of the players left, I don't think we're falling out of the top 30 unless when things happen, like we probably are assuming they happen at the end of the season, unless there's some guys that completely jump off ship. Um, I think we're going to have a top 30 class and that's good for who hopefully the new regime. Yep. And and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Um, yeah. Let's start by talking a little bit about the game itself. Cool. Um, um, what can we say? I was bleeping pissed. I literally, yeah. Hold on, I'll show you something. This is my yeah. notebook, folks. I'm not going to show you the inside contents of it. Literally after the first half, I said the season is over. Bleep this. That's how mad I was. I went out, talked to my wife. We decided what we were getting for dinner. Uh, made our kids some dinner here at the house. It, my, my mind was gone. You called I, me I, for event session. <laughs> when we get dinner, I did. Me and Ryan had a, about a 15 minute event session on my ride to the restaurant. And I was fine the rest of the night. I, I watched a little bit of the other games. I, I hung out with my wife. You know, how about you after that first half? Yeah, I mean, we, we ended up kind of settling in, decided what we wanted to do for dinner, grab dinner. Um, I ended up throwing the game on the iPad and we watched. Uh, Halloween Town with uh, with my son. <laughs> so that, awesome that's how our choice. night went. Awesome choice. <laughs> well, let's go on it, Brian. Let's 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 hit the defense first. Um, and something that you driving to the restaurant last night, you told me it's like if you told me we take away certain plays and that you saw, like we're we're gonna be in this game. Yep. And, and we did a good job of kind of taking away what Pitt liked to do. Um, we actually did a pretty good job of kind of stopping a lot of the over the middle stuff that they like to do. Um, and some of the routes that Mac had had a lot of success with there, there wasn't a a ton of those and more or less kept their receivers from completely dominating the game. Um, that, that was a shocker. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't think for four quarters that we would have been able to do that. I know game flow. They kind of went away from the pass a good amount in the second half. They didn't need it. Um, after that that opening drive touchdown um, in the second half, they didn't really need to, to sling the ball around much anymore. Um, but I thought we did a good job overall. Uh, where I thought we struggled uh, was setting the edge in the run game. Uh, we did a good job when they were running up between the tackles. We did a pretty bad job when they were bouncing it outside. Um, and making sure that those, you know, few yard gains didn't turn into first downs too often. They were either eight yard gains, first down runs. Yeah. Nothing, nothing gashing, but bad enough where you're, you're keeping your defense on the field longer than you like. How much does that go into Brian when knowing the type of passing attack that they have? How much is it where? How much is it easier for an offensive lineman to set the edge when you know they feel like we're still passing? Because it, at one point it was what twenty-one seven, right? Yeah, it was twenty-one seven. The game was not put away. Yeah, twenty-one seven. Um, 
excuse me, no, 28-7. They got their touchdown on the opening drive of the second half. But how easy it was it to run when you know you're playing a passing team and it's like, well, they're going to be coming upfield. How much easier is that for an offensive line? Uh, it, it really depends because you still want to stop the penetration, but they did a good job in their um, kind of outside zone game, um, kind of funneling us where we needed to. And then, uh, again, the, the edge was soft, and I think some of that was – by design just because we were trying to stop some of the st- the uh the passing game in the middle of the field and i think those responsibilities ended up going by the wayside a little bit um and you know there was there was a couple times where we were there and we just took a bad angle and there was a couple times where we were there and we just didn't keep keep that outside leverage the way we needed to um and you know they they got a, a running back that while not you know, necessarily a game changer has good speed and he was able to get to the edge a lot and impact the running game that way. Like I said, he didn't do anything that was hurting us in, in, in terms of big plays, but it was just a gash here, a gash there that kept them on the field. And that really kind of played a a role in the first half. They'd be able to extend drives, especially as they closed out the, the the first half there. And then it, it impacted us in the second half where we couldn't get them off the field, especially on that one big drive that really closed out the game. Exactly. The, the one in the second half that or in the fourth quarter that literally lasted like 10 minutes. Um, you know, 28, if you would have told us the defense held to 28, I think me and you probably sit here on Wednesday night and say, then we might actually win the game. Me and you pegged it. Uh, you know, we roughly pegged it that we would be right in the mid-20s. They'd be in the 30s. I do think if the game flow had been true, we had been more competitive offensively, which we're going to turn to in a second here. I think they probably get to 35, maybe 38. Um, yeah. Uh, just because yeah, – I mean, they, they were definitely able to, to, to sit on their lead in the most of the second half. So, Which is, which is shocking for Narduzzi because it seems like he's always loved to run the score up on it. But I think you made this note in here, Brian, and it sums it up perfectly – the defense did everything possible to keep us in this game. If if we saw how that game flow went in the first half, it would not have shocked me if it had been 35 nothing. Yeah. Yeah, the defense was able to get off the field on a couple uh, good three and outs. Um, they were able to get them off the field um, early in a drive a couple other times. Gave – the offense a bunch of opportunities especially uh early in the game with some shorter fields and just did nothing to capitalize on it all right so let's flip to the offense because i'm going to piggyback off that from going to the defense that first drive we kick it to them we three and out them we send a we almost get to the punt their punter short legs it we get it at the 50. yep and you're sitting here and you're like if you asked me an opening set of four plays against that offense, like, that's perfect. Stopped them, almost blocked it, got a great field. What the offense did was literally just ugly. They pissed down their leg. Oh, all the way. It was – it looked plain, it looked bland, and, you know – Brian, you put on here and you kind of mentioned it last night. There's no sense of urgency. It's just like, oh, oh, yeah. 
Let's run these plays that everybody knows we run. I mean, they, they knew how we were going to attack them, and they invited in a lot of ways, right, with that press man. Yeah. Um, and it we, you know, we, we went there, and the problem wasn't necessarily that. The, the opening drive was bad um, in terms of the sequencing. Um, but as as the game went along, especially in the first half, we showed zero plan B when those kind of shots down the field weren't connecting. We, we, we didn't have a counterpunch. There, there was nothing, nothing that the offense was doing, nothing that the, the play caller was doing to change what was happening on the field. It was essentially these shots are going to work or we're not moving the football. And we didn't to the tune of what? 61 yards in the first half total offense. Yeah, it was, it was it was one of the worst first halves of offense I've ever watched, um, and I've watched a bunch of Brian Stein spring call games, and that that one I was pulling my hair out, uh, and and then it got to a point where it was so bad the first half, like I was I reached full on apathy by the second half. I was like, yeah. all right, whatever. It, this game is what it is at this point. And that and that's sad because I mean the fans saw it too. We saw, you know, pretty much a half empty lane stadium at the start of the second half. Yeah. Uh most of the student section was gone. A third oh. of the uh the other um stands were empty. It, it was it was a very sad situation. And it's it sad like- that we're that we're getting to this. And you know, l- let's go ahead and talk about the the last piece of the offense that I think that we have not had success in this year, and it was evident again against Pitt. We did an awful job of establishing the line of scrimmage uh, as an offense. I'm not sure. I mean, we obviously know the the talents of Christian Derisaw. Um, We knew that that Doug Nestor was a a solid starter. I did not anticipate this degree of drop-off in the offensive line. And it's not just – it's not just the – Khalil Herbert has amazing vision and timing and the ability to break the big play. That's definitely a factor, but they're, they're not getting any movement at all. There's no no. movement. The, the, the the sneak with fourth and like inches where you normally see, because you know, the snap count, right, Brian, we're going to be able to at least get the, get a slight push. I'll I'll tell you what it is. And, and I, and I looked at it. Um, I know, uh, I know French, I know French talked about it too. Uh, but Brock snaps under center the same way he snaps in shotgun. Right. What does that mean? So he drops his ass too much, (laughs) meaning that he's rocking back in his stance which when you're running in shotgun and you're probably running outside zone or inside zone or something where you're doing a reach step or a zone step or, you know, some, some, some sort of, uh, either lateral or, uh, potentially even giving ground on, on your step to, to get an angle on a defender. Okay. When you're under center, you're trying to drive off in short yardage. That's a completely different, mindset and it i mean it just looks like they haven't repped that enough where they've coached him to change how he goes about the business in that scenario okay 
Thank you. I'm now visualizing that and kind of thinking and thinking about what in, in a zone scheme, what an offensive center is having to do. So that does make sense. So, so why this, Brian? Why not this? If if he's not good at that, why not on fourth and one? Aren't you just, you know, running something like an inside zone where at least it's not counterproductive to what he's doing? Like, listen, put in Jalen Holston, you know, line up, you know, Gallo in the backfield as an H back, and let's just choose a hole and run it downhill under center. Yeah, but and that's that's a problem because what what's happening is that. Brock has no forward drive um, yeah. because because of the snap. So therefore, you're you're literally relying on essentially Brock's raw strength and Braxton riding behind him, plus whatever uh, Lasitas or Caden Moore were able to get push to get that first down. It, I like the fact that we're going under center. That's a, that's a smart move. But if you're not going to coach them up to the point where they can execute it then it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like saying we're going to be a vertical passing team. Okay, our quarterback can throw the ball 30 yards. I don't think a vertical attack is going to be exactly what we should do in these cases. Yeah, and and we said we had to take some shots against this defense because you have to because they invite it. You're not going to get a ton of, of, of other real estate. Um, in other places on that defense. But what you can't do is that in a windy environment with a quarterback that doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, just take shots for 30 minutes. No. there Again, <laughs> no adjustment. No adjustment to anything on the offensive side of the ball throughout the game. They invited it. Yes, you're having struggles. There, There's wind. Braxton's banged up. And you really didn't see much of a change. And that goes into probably a lot of the stuff we're about to get into, Brian. Um, anything else on the game before we wrap this segment? No, I'm good, bud. All right. Before we get into the main topic, the arc of this current head coach, we are going to take a quick pause from a message for from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right. So while driving back from the restaurant last night. I got to hear some of the post game and do a little reading on that. Yes. Yes. That's what we're Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what we're about to that's what we're about to talk about. Um and this is what I caught and then it just reading it and thinking about it overnight and when I woke up this morning, it, it made me think about let's get into this art because what he said was it's my responsibility and it's my job to get us to play as good as we can play to whatever level that is. It's my response. He accepted the responsibility that essentially he screwed up. And my thing is this, it's true. It's absolutely true that being a head coach, it is game day preparation is a hundred percent responsibility of the head coach, but it's not the only responsibility of the head coach. Yep. And 
as for us, I think the way we feel, we are where we are because of not just game day preparation, but essentially multiple aspects of it, of this coaching staff. And it's all the things that are leading into the product on game day, right? It's not just, I'm not getting the guys ready week to week. It's everything that's leading into that. And I'll let you, I'll let you roll with the first point here. Well, the first point I'm going to make is this before we jump into the first point, this podcast at various dates in November of 2020 said the man should be fired. Yep. The man should have been fired by tea leaves and everything that was going on. It looks like that was going to happen. And then we beat UVA and won five games and somebody pulled the plug on that. I don't know who it was. Um, and may, maybe one day we'll find out. But the first thing, Brian, and it's the big bugaboo, it's recruiting. And yep. and now stories have started coming out and things are being known. And the first point I hit here is you start hearing from certain coaches, the Andy Bitter article. And we'd heard this through the grapevine, through other people saying that basically our head coach does not consistently communicate with top prospects. At least not to the degree that other uh, quality staffs are doing, and even some in the state, especially. I mean, it sounds like more or less that um, ODU ODU in particular is uh, is doing a pretty bang-up job with – communicating um, pretty much with, with 804, 757, and Nova. Um, they, awesome. they were hit or miss with some of the other coaches that were a part of that uh, article, yep. but that makes sense. I mean, there, there's, you know, they don't need to, they need to focus on the areas where they can get kids to come in. Uh, they don't need to cast that wide net necessarily in the state um, unless there's guys that are kind of falling through the cracks for some of the other uh, power five schools. Absolutely. But this is what I say. And, you know, what this leads to, though, is your underlings, your assistant head coaches potentially taking lead in not doing things similar. Because for a top prospect, if the head coach is calling twice a week and I'm the OC or I'm the primary or the secondary recruiter, I better be calling four to five times a week. Yeah, this is this is the classic lead by example situation, right? Damn right it is. You damn right it is. So if he's calling once or twice a month, and I'll call once a week, and there you go, you start slipping, you start losing building the relationship. So there's that. All right, let's go with this because this is we know this happened. The mistakes that were made with the in-state relationships, and now the subsequent attempts to repair the in-state relationships. Yep, that was known a few years ago. And the issue, though, is if you come in and get those relationships well off the bat, you're potentially starting to get those kids. You don't have to repair. Yep. And and some people say, yeah, but it's being repaired. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. But the amount of energy now you're having to take to repair those relationships. And now you're having to. You know, we always we, we walk back to Japari Parker, right? If we had taken some walk-on, preferred walk-on, or taken some kid out of Highland Springs, Thomas Dale, Oscar Smith, five years ago, six years ago, when this man first got here, 
you would consistently have your shots at those two four-star kids out of Highland Springs that went to Oklahoma. Yep. And I think that's the problem is that, you know, it shouldn't have happened to begin with. The, the bridges shouldn't have been burnt. And it wasn't just – it was a combination of two things, right? It was what's what was perceived as deliberate snubs uh, of, yeah. of certain prospects, and then it was just a general lack of attention to the high schools in general. And the combination of those two things soured a lot of prospects on staying home. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, th- that in a, in and of itself probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But while all of this was happening, obviously Penn State starts creeping down into Virginia. North Carolina. Mac comes back, starts creeping mm-hmm. up into Virginia. Clemson, Alabama, oh, oh, FSU. Ohio State reaching into Virginia, you, you got the, those guys were stepping up their game. Um, at the same time, we were pretty much, you know, taking a pass, uh, on, on the majority of the state, at least in the way that we should have been hitting it. Exactly. The way we should have been hitting it and the way we should have been hitting it is, are you going to be able to get every five-star kid? No. Because right now the way the state's leaned is people want to leave, and that's great. But what it does, if you're getting a PWO or you are, you know, the two-star kid who is an okay player, offering him, well, it helps you build that relationship with the Lauren Johnsons, um, with Chris down at Oscar Smith, with, with, with all the coaches, because you say yeah. he's a good enough football player to be on scholarship. We're going to give him a chance. And it's a, it's a heck of a lot easier to walk into someone's office and their kid who maybe had two or three FCS offers and maybe one small Mac school or something, you give him that offer. It immediately opens the line of communications. Yeah. All right, Brian, this is yours right here, buddy. How about some unbalanced classes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is the big, big problem with with our roster right now is that we've been stacking. It's a combination of two things, and we're going to talk about the, that very, very next step here. But unbalanced classes. So we are stacking players at positions. And then you can, you can, you can give me the fist pump. I saw Matt just K the kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, that was a big, uh, big, big get out there. We got a double to start out the inning. Got a sack fly to move him to third. And then we get two, uh, two back-to-back strikeouts to close it out. So that was nice. That was nice. All right. So unbalanced classes. Okay. Taking five wide receivers in a class. Then turn around and taking five defensive ends in a class, five running backs in a class. I mean, what what's the purpose of having ten scholarship running backs? There is no purpose. At most, you're going to have one running back on the field at one time. Um, even if you were going heavy rotation, and I mean, I'll say heavy rotation where five guys, five guys, <laughs> six. I'll say six. Like you have the all around. That's guys. a heavy rotation. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. That's why I'm gonna say it out loud. You have you have two all around guys, right? They can do a little bit of everything. They can run inside, outside. They can they can catch some passes. Then you have your heavy guys. 
short yardage situation guys, which we still don't understand how to put the right size guys in for short yardage situation. So yeah. two of those. And then these are my more pass catchers. If we're going to run them, we're probably going to be outside the numbers. We're going to run outside zone, you know, sweeps. Six. I'd say five to six is maximum number of running backs you need on a collegiate roster. And we got, I mean, even if, even if you're, even if you got one or two on there that you want a red shirt, yes. like by design, like seven, maybe eight, maybe not 10, never 10. And if you got, if you got 10 on a roster, and I'm not trying to knock this class this year. And I've got that up still, so I'm going to look at it. We've got 10 on the roster right now, and we've got Ramon Brown, and we've got Bryce Duke. Yep. So if no one leaves, which I think the only Jalen Holston would be the only one who would be eligible to leave because of how old he is. I think him and them still have a chance. 11? You know, it's it's it, and it's the thing is, it's well, we have the scholarships to give, and it's like, yeah, but you're devoting your resources to recruiting that position. But devoting your resources to recruiting that position, devoting your obviously time and effort, devoting uh, the scholarship. Like, I, why are we giving scholarships to positions that we're already set at? Yeah, it's true. Like, like I, I'd much rather throw a scholarship to a a borderline you know three-star talent at a position that we need then keep stacking uh running backs just just because they're they're willing to come to virginia tech or where depth truly matters yeah to me there's three positions that you can never get enough of offensive linemen defensive linemen and secondary players because secondary players you can have a kid who's playing corner the potential he can move to safety if he doesn't have the skills get and vice versa. Yep. Um, if everybody go back in the day, Cam Chancellor started as a corner and he was solid there, but he became spectacular as a safety. Those three positions, because at any one time, there's going to be five guys on a field at four to five guys on a field. So we'll get into the player retention and a few other things later on that. And Brian, here's the one I've kind of noticed. And I'm going to go back with a kid here from the RVA that you coached against um, that we that we watched develop over a decade ago. Anton Exum was a three-star kid coming out. Played a deep run, played quarterback, played safety. Yep. He was classified as an athlete. No one knew where he was going to play when he came out. Some people thought running back, maybe he's a wide out. Uh, you know, if he grows a little bit, he could probably be a linebacker. Maybe a corner. We're not recruiting just going out there and looking at a kid who might be playing quarterback in free safety, looking at their body type and saying, this kid is an athlete. He has – he's built. He's six one. He's 205 pounds. He's fast. He has good agility. We can find a place to put him. And yeah. with this staff, to me, and if I'm wrong, somebody please – DM us and tell us. I don't feel like we recruit like true athletes. And just looking through this year's, you know, I'm, I'm looking. I don't really see anyone that's really an athlete. Actually, I don't think anybody's classified as an athlete. No. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'm almost to the top. 
23 commits, zero classified at athlete. Yeah, and we definitely used to look at that more. I know that with 247 diving a little bit deeper, there are fewer true athletes in in a recruiting class now than there used to be. True. They're at least slapping a position on them, even if it's not necessarily you know written in stone, right? But I'm with you because some of the best players that have walked through that tunnel have been guys we didn't know exactly where they were going to play when they were being recruited. They were just damn good athletes. Um, they were players. They were, they were guys on their team that, that, that got it done. And I, I just don't see us doing that. But when we talk about recruiting, the other thing that we got to talk about with, with recruiting and it's, it goes into the depth is that player retention, right? hundred percent. Just before we get to player retention, um, Two four seven currently has a hundred and fifty seven guys classified as athletes. A hundred and fifty seven. Ah. Um, that's a small number compared to how many kids are going out. But Brian, hundred percent right. After recruiting, it's getting them in the building, developing and retaining them. It doesn't matter if you recruit them and everybody leaves the next year. But Brian, let's start with the biggest problem room right now for us, and it's the quarterback room. Yeah. How many years have Fuente been here? How many quarterbacks have started a game for us? Six. That same number of years. <laughs> That's bad. That's bad. A. Actually, let's let's take Kenny Pickett. Okay. Kenny F and Pickett. Kenny Pickett has been at Pitt for three years. He has started for three years, and he actually has played four. He got some time. In 2018, so he's seen the field for four years. He's had the same offensive coordinator for the last three. And Kenny Pickett, as you as we said, Brian, never we I still don't feel like he has the highest ceiling, but he never had a terrible floor. No, right? And out the out the gate, he was a solid player with enough athleticism to keep plays alive, extend plays, or do that scramble for a first down when you need it. He was always that guy. He was always, he always threw a pretty accurate ball as well. Um, You know, the, the issue that, you know, we saw with, with Kenny Pickett is that for a while there, he wasn't going out there and winning games that he needed to by himself. Uh, Part of the problem was that they put too much on him uh, probably early in in terms of, of him having to do that. And now that the roster's kind of balanced out in terms of the offensive weapons, yeah, he's coming into his own because um, he's he knows the system, and 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 there's a lot to be said about chemistry and understanding the system to a very rich degree, right? Um, when you're in it for three years and not just in it, but playing it live against other competition, that matters. It does. Well, it does also from a point, and I think you made this Wednesday night. You get that on tape, and you can be physically ready to go. But as you see it on tape, it's this, right? Yep. I see what I did here wrong. When I see that safety move down, my slant's slants taken away. But if I see him move down, my seam, if I can make that other safety move to the far hash, I'm going to have my seam route open. Or 
I'm going to have my in route in because the safety's not there anymore. It's the mental reps. It's seeing yep. things on tape, and it's having someone to develop you, which Mark Whipple has. And Mark Whipple, you know, is, we can joke about Whipple offense where he's kind of combining spread and pro um, concepts. The guy was in the NFL for a few years. The guy has a solid track record as being a pretty good quarterback developer. Yep. When you're going six on six, it says a lot about who the quarterback coach is. That you're not making guys stick around, be better. You're shuffling guys out the door. You're essentially playing favorites, watching Hendon last night before he got knocked out. And I hope that – I haven't seen any news today. I hope that he can come back. Um, but, you know, it, it not only – it hurts you from the development standpoint – but it hurts you from depth. We have no depth. And, yep. in, 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 you know, we were out here like, well, Connor Knox, and it's like you want someone like a Quincy, and Quincy should have been. They, they, How you don't retain one of them when all of that is said and done is, is just strange to me because – I mean, there's no way that they looked at what we're dealing with this year. We're like, yeah, that's going to be sufficient to go out and get a coastal uh, championship. Like, there's there's no way that they saw on tape, and they were yeah. like, yep, this 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 is going to get it done. And I think that that's another problem that we're having with player retention is that. We, for whatever reason, we don't value depth. We don't value yeah. getting guys involved, especially on the offensive side. Oh, like, heck yeah. I we think that's another problem because we've got wide receivers that are transferring out because we don't get other guys involved in the offense. And I I love Trey and Tay, and I feel like they're getting the shit into this stick as well. But other people need need to get some of these uh, balls thrown their way. Um because we we need to be able to spread the ball around. Um, and we really have underutilized the tight end position habitually throughout uh, the tenure of Fuente. And it's strange because that I know the, the, the H back kind of makes that offense go in terms of the running game and things like that. But at some point you just got to, you got to figure it out and get get those guys involved in the passing game more. I mean, I know James Mitchell is out, and that's a big blow, but you got to have you got to have a plan B. Next man up, get this thing going. Absolutely, and you talk about the wide receiver room, and dude, we don't see any of the younger players. It's essentially before last night, Dwayne Lofton had one catch and was on for like maybe three or four series. You've got to get them on the field. There's no way you can develop them. There's no way you can get game film and tell, tell them what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And I think what this staff thinks is, well, if they're not doing it good in practice, what are they don't do in a game? And it's why we got effed in 2019 when they started Willis because Hooker, well, he does some things wrong in practice and it's tight. And you always say, Brian, I don't practice is great, but there are certain times you just have to put people on the field. They have to play. Well, if you if, if if you know the limitations of who you think your starter is, and you know the upside of the guy that's behind him, you got to try the other guy that's behind him and get get him some more reps in the game so he can take those steps uh, in in the development process. 
I mean, we we had a full what? How many games was it? Eight games of of Ryan Willis in twenty eighteen. Yeah, we, we we knew what Ryan Willis was all about by the end of that year. Yes, we did. Um, I I don't think anyone thought that Ryan Willis was a high ceiling quarterback. No, no uh, floor. Oh, yeah. low floor! If he started throwing, yeah. Picks. If 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 it's pick if it's pick day, um, Ooh. it was gonna be a it was gonna be a long one. It was. Uh, C opening game BC 2019. Very true. Um, but it's so true. if you if if you don't get those young players on the field, you know it, it sounds silly. And let's just be hindsight. And I know one of our guys we we chat with, Big Hokey B Fish. His remember his comment. It was a long time ago. Us chatting with him when he said. He's like, I think we should have just played hooker in 18. We weren't a good yeah. team. Yeah. Only thing that was on the line was the bowl streak, which it could you, um, and again, if you actually had a good quarterback developer, if hooker had played 18, 19, 20, and then come in with basically three full seasons where it's not, we're not worried about him lining people up, right? He can go out there and yeah. do this offense in his sleep. It's, it's the mental reps. And unfortunately, it's going to happen next year. I think whoever the quarter, we're going to have, even though it's going to be a new regime, seven quarterbacks in seven years. No team is successful. No professional team. Most high school teams aren't like that. Usually high school teams, Brian, you can attest. Shep. You at, least get a couple, you at least get a couple years with most of those guys. Exactly. We already talked about the running back room. It's way too crowded. Offensive line, Brian. We did this to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we submarine the depth. Um, we allowed players to potentially run the room. And unfortunately Allegedly. that ran, that ran off a, a couple players. Um, so, and now, and now you're faced with a situation where you're backfilling, and you've got you're not you're not comfortable interior offensive line. You're awful at tackle depth right now. Yeah, awful, terrible, absolutely awful. Um, and th- this is a this is a two to three cycle fix. This is not something that we're fixing mm-hmm. with the 22 class or even the 23 class. This is a three cycle fix. Yeah. Because we essentially only have true what three tackles, yeah, three tackles, Tanuta, Silas, and Clements who played Saturday, um, and the whole the 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 whole player running the locker room was was alleged. But when you see two guys leave like that, and you saw them getting playing time, and whether you like rotations or not, that is what it is. Even the NFL rotates sometimes. Um, I've seen that with my 49ers rotating occasionally on the interior. That's, that's, that's just a fact of the game we live in today. It's not what it was 30 years ago where if you're the starter, you're the starter. You're never coming out if you're on the offensive line. But when you take away guys like Hudson and Nestor, where, you know, say what you will. If, if our starting line this year was probably Hudson – at center, Brock at right, Doug at right tackle, with Silas being a swing guy in, Parker being a swing guy in, 
Um, I know you always mentioned Johnny wouldn't be here. Caden getting some early reps to develop himself. I, I don't know if we would be what we were last year. I think we'd be better than we are now. And if you can't keep them in the locker room, and some people say, well, that's just the position coach. No, no. The head coach dictates that stuff because if the position coach, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited about this. But You're good, man. It's coach, spicy night. If, if the position coach is letting that sort of shit happen, you go, you pull him in the office like, nah, you need to crack down on this. You need to not let the players run the room. You need to stop this crap. And you need to have man-to-man conversation with these guys about the way why we rotate. And then you need to give them examples of why we rotate. But, you know, it starts with the head guy. It All does. Right. And, and we're paying for it. Now, the other situation is the defensive end situation. That's a weird situation. But it goes back to step one, the stacking you talked about, Brian. We we saw, especially in the Notre Dame game, not having that in-depth killed us in the end. Because At the end of the Barnes, game, we did not have gas to send guys after the quarterback. And you finally had you had the statue back in there, but you, you, you were too gassed to go after him. And then last night, um, with the way they were running the ball, same way, right? If you don't yeah. have the ends to consistently rotate and they can't set the edges – or at least try to, you know, make the hump and the hump on that Raheem Blackshear play where he went six yards backwards. Terrible running play there. Um, but you know, it's one of those things, and everybody's like, Well, that's university policy of the stuff that happens, it seemed. Well, you know what? If you actually have a head coach who's involved in that stuff, who's getting in there and having conversations with the administrations you know maybe something like this doesn't happen but again doesn't choose to chooses to go home not talk not be social you know again it's a two-prong right there it's it's stacking and then it's the lack of communication with the administration on campus well it's it's stacking but it's also um when it comes to just overall roster management, because if you are recruiting at a proper clip at that defensive end position and doing a good job of retaining those players, then you can afford to lose one or two guys, especially considering, you know, one of the three probably wasn't in into a rotational position coming into this year. Two were. Two were. Um, and, but if but if you're recruiting that position properly, you can lose two guys that are possibly part of your rotation, and still keep it moving, um, as long as they're not your frontline players, right? And they weren't they weren't the frontline players, but we had not we had not recruited that position in a way where we could manage that type of attrition. Yeah. So again, recruiting and retention all in one felt swoop there, and we see it paying. And don't get me wrong, Taiwan Garbutt. And Amari Barno, um, they make me feel like the old school tech defensive ends when they are gassed up. Now, when they get beat up at the end of a game, they're not. But nobody's going to be. No. All right, Brian. Well, let's flip it over. We, we've taken care of what's going on in the locker room. We've taken care of the recruiting trail. Let's talk about game days. 
because I swear to God, I swear to God, our team's juice on game days is the most bicolor thing I've ever seen. And sometimes it's literally, I put quarter to quarter, and I'm actually going to go back and say that's wrong. Drive to drive. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. Uh, It seems like Fuente can never get this team up when when they need to be up. Um, And uh, oftentimes when... You know the, the the defense rallies and, and gets us up. The offense comes out completely flat and lays an egg. And it's not just it. It's sometimes the body language. It's sometimes they come out and they don't look like they are confident about making the play that they need to make. And I think that's that's the thing that is is striking to me is that sometimes they just don't seem ready to to get the job done in those situations. And that, that's a problem. And that goes back to coaching. But the other thing that goes back to coaching is adjustments. When we see, all right, our game plan's not working. Yep. Let's move off of this. Let's do something different in the pit game. We were (laughs) taking shots. We knew we had to take shots. That's fine. But you're dealing with a swirling wind with your quarterback that probably still has some degree of a shoulder injury uh, and doesn't have the strongest arm in the world already. And you've got him slinging, you know, 30-yard goes and fades pretty much the whole first half. And I get, you've got to take those shots, but you also have to mix it up where they can think about something else. It's true. You have to make the corners think about something else. You can't just keep coming at them with the same thing, especially when you don't have Isaiah Ford out there. Or Bucky Hodges. uh, Or Bucky Hodges. (laughs) Or we can get the ball. It's true, it, man. It's true, and 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 is and it's and it's and, and it took Ham a couple series to start making his adjustments. But again, I'll say it: if Ham doesn't make a couple of his adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, it, it's even uglier in the first. It gets half. ugly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he 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 compared to the offensive side, Ham's making his adjustments. Um, now, sometimes they take a couple drives to, to get going, but... They might be a drive or two later than you like, but they get there. They eventually get there. And then, and offensively, it's just like, there was there was still no game plan change, 21 nothing down, getting into the second half. There was nothing. It literally took until the last drive that we finally scored on to where we finally were like, oh, maybe we can do this and this. By that time, it's 28 nothing. It's like, it's too late. This needed to happen at 14 nothing. But we, we had our plan, and it was going to – your plan we, wasn't working. We, fi- we finally got a call from the ref. We finally hit a deep ball to trade. We're like, all right, well, now now the, now the plan's working. You're down okay. four scores. You're down – yeah, you, you're, you're down you're down 28 nothing. Um, at some point, you know, th- there, there should have been a change sooner. And, and I get that there were some drops. Um, our receivers had some drops. There were some missed flags. We're not. There were some missed flags. We're, we're not. We're not saying that there weren't other other things at play here. Obviously, there are. There were, and and players have to go out there and execute. Um, but but we've talked about habitual execution errors being a flaw of the of the coaching staff, and, and we're seeing that again this this week. True. And at some point. If your coaching staff sees that you're having execution flaws in a game and doesn't do something to try to mitigate some of that, that's yeah. on them too. It's on them. And it's on the head man 
to essentially get the people to start making the changes. We've always discussed situational play calls, and that's, again, in-game type stuff, game day type stuff, where we've harped on it before. But when you keep seeing things and nothing is changing, eventually it's not, well, the players, you said it before, Brian, we've said it a lot in the last month. The players necessarily are executing this play. If they're not executing it right, what are you doing behind the scenes, especially when it keeps happening over and over again? And I think this week's situational didn't matter. Situational did not matter. I don't not think- as much because, I mean, oh, yeah, the dude. situational play calls are like, all right, well, third down, we're going to chuck it. Go deep. Second down, we're going to chuck it. Although when you sit here and I think I've got a note here, one of them, didn't we go deep on like a third and five where we had a little momentum? Yeah. Um, like and I'm sitting I, there. I think it was uh I want to say it was I can't remember if it was the drive just before they went to 14 or just after they went to 14 where we got a, a kind of a good first couple downs and we're we're in a manageable situation and we're still trying to chuck the ball downfield like at some point take what the defense is giving you and and and, and matriculate the ball a little bit like I said, I know they're inviting the deep ball there, but if you're not hitting it, figure out something else. Um, second quarter, Brian, is when that was. Um, it was a, it was, you know, it, it was we 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 took a shot on like third and five or third and four, and it was just one of those like what like why like if this was a fourteen fourteen game, sure yeah. go for it, take the shot, try to. The baby, you get to catch the safety going in, the corner peeking his head and looking for the run. In this case, you're down. Also, your quarterback sense. is trying to find some rhythm, and you're giving him low percentage throws back to back to back to back. Get that confidence up, Brian. Let's take a deep shot here. All right, one last piece of game day is, and this is ultimately only the head coaches. The other ones are how he's dictating things to his assistant coaches. But those decisions when going forward on fourth down, extra point versus two points, fakes, um, things like that, that is strictly on the head coach. He makes those calls, um, whether to punt or to go for a long field goal. That's all on him. Now, I'll say this. I think for when they, as far as going forward on fourth down, I think he's better than Frank was. Because Frank Beamer at the 43-yard line on third and or on fourth and one, it was going to be a punt. <laughs> yeah, he, he's I mean, he's he's definitely conservative or traditional in terms of a 2021 coach, but he is less conservative than Frank was. Ever was. Going for two. Nope. I don't care if it's gonna get us up three. We're going up two. Um, the, the the problem I have with Fuente is that the decisions don't make sense in the context of the game, not necessarily whether or not they are conservative or or liberal enough in the situation. Yeah, and then then it goes back into well, if if it's fourth down and you're going for it, and especially if you're the background that you're an offensive coordinator, then you have to call the play. You have to call, you know, fourth and three. We're down 14, but we're at the 36. I'm not going to take a field goal. I'm not going to punt it for potentially a net of 10 or 15 yards. I'm going to go for it. Then what do you call? 
Yeah. What is your play here? Because you have to make the decision. You should be on page with your OC to say, you know, we're running this play because I think we can get three out of this for whatever reason. And, you know, this that's actually probably the, the decisions things are probably something he's done okay on. Um, and some, but the, the times where it fails is just like the worst possible times. And you just kind of shake your head. All right, Brian, me and you were both history majors, man. And this is the one that I kind of dug in on today and just started thinking a lot about. And, you know, you think about great generals throughout history that led their respective armories, whether it be U.S. Grant, you know, in the Civil War, Robert E. Lee in the Civil War, Eisenhower. Their lieutenant generals or their underlings, you had to have great ones. You know, you you think about the Civil War, you think about U.S. Grant and how even though he was leading the campaign, Sherman's march through the South. You think about Lee and you think about having Jackson. I wrote my senior thesis on the 1862 campaign of the Shenandoah Valley, which essentially Jackson was able to keep that valley from essentially getting torched, prolonging the war. Yep. If you do not have good lieutenant generals, most time people fail in war as it is in sports, if you do not have good lieutenants. And I make this point as I ramble about our history background, <laughs> about the last two seasons for Justin Fuente has been his worst two seasons, whether it be as an offensive coordinator or as a head coach. Because I look at Memphis when he got there, it was an absolute dumpster fire. Yep. Nick Saban could have walked in there and won the same amount of games. But these last two seasons, it's the first time he's not really had a lieutenant general with him. And I go back, Brian, and although he was the lieutenant to Gary Patterson, you always made the point he had a co-OC while he was with TCU. The older guy had been there a long time. We go down to Memphis. He had Daryl Dickey. Daryl Dickey has coached forever. Daryl Dickey's like 63 years old. Daryl Dickey has literally started coaching in the 1980s. You come here, you have Bud's experience of close to 25-plus years on, you know, Frank Staff in Tom Murray State. And, and you had Jerry Kill in 19. So every year he's had someone to essentially bounce his ideas off of. And now he doesn't. How much do you think is that important to you? Go back to – who was Marty's guy like that, that maybe that wasn't maybe, maybe Marty's age, but just, just in football as long with better experiences. Uh, yeah, we had, we had a couple guys. Um, our, uh, one of our, the, the co-offensive line coaches, really both offensive line coaches kind of had, had that same type of, uh, same type of clout where, you know, he would bounce ideas off of them. Um, and really use that lean on their experience uh, in games um, to kind of make some of those calls in, in clutch moments there. Um, not having a guy that, that, that you can lean on um, and, and obviously Fuente showing that he needs that type of 
presence, uh, given his record here. I mean, it's showing, right? It is. And, it is. I mean, it's it's showing in so many different ways because with those guys, you know, you start looking back where they've coached and stuff. They've experienced big games. They've experienced big moments. They've inspired crucial moments. And, you know, leading up, having those guys in your ear. We, we have no associate or assistant head coach right now. Bud was it, and we did not get one named last year, and we do not have one named this year. But is there anybody on staff, Brian, that we can? Because right now, you know, the, the staff is sort of compromised with its it's his buddies, Bill and Brad and Jafar and Shybest. And somebody says, well, Shybest, you know, has been coaching a long time since the early 1990s. Yeah, but he's been on the staff for 10 years for one day. That's yeah. usually you get to that status, you get buddy status. Um You've got younger coaches, and when I say younger coaches, you've got like Ham and Adam, um, you know, and then you've got newbies like JC and Jack. And you're not going to put, you know, although JC Price has been coaching close to 15 years, very rarely will you put someone that's coming in off the street in an associate head coach role because of the importance of that role. Yeah. So he has and, no and, and they gave him a pretty high title given that he was coming, you know, yes. from out, out, out of house. Right. So, yeah. um, and, and, and he's done well in that role, but I'm with you there. There doesn't, there isn't that type of mentor uh, type position that it seems that Fuente would need to have, have the success that he'd like to have. Um, and I think the bigger thing, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit is that there's just, a unwillingness to really examine harshly. <laughs> he, he, he looking at, looking at the tape and saying, all right, we can do this better. We can do that better. That's fine. But that's, that shit you do all the time. If you, you need to fully evaluate these staff members and get rid of the ones that are not living up to their billing. And I, and I, let let's 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 talk about first. So so right now in terms of hiring, firing, retaining staff, all that, right now we have one unknown factor, right? So that's Jack Tyler. I mean, he's still relatively new in the position. Early returns are looking good. Solid. Not yeah. spectacular, but solid. No, it's, it's not jumping off the tape or anything like that, but the the unit has played better than they did last year and He's done a pretty good job on the recruiting trail. Yep, absolutely. He's done a good job. Um, and, again, he's unknown, even though he's been here in some type of role for the last three or four years. Until you get in that spot, you don't know about him, and there's not enough in him. Yep. Now, the good, I put four guys in this. And we're going to talk about guys who have also been on the staff before. So when you all hear some other names, don't be surprised. But the good have been – Ham, I think what Ham's done this year is great, especially yep. after last year, what he had to go through. Um, Ryan Smith, I almost wanted to make a separate category for Ryan Smith, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> Ryan Smith is is currently the MVP of he is of, of the hires because he has knocked out the park in every phase that he's been asked to contribute in. 
He does a great job coaching the defensive backs. He's doing a great job recruiting. And then the other two goods are J.C. and Bill. Um, J.C. Yep. on the recruiting trail, obviously. And then the defensive line, overall, the defensive line has held this team in games. Um, you know, in the development, Barno, and some people say, well, Barno's not looking at the – He's sometimes the stat sheet's not there. Yeah, but he's still garnering the attention. Yeah. What will become the issue with Barno is is when he no longer garners the attention. But he's still garnering it. In a couple of weeks, was it the, the second play against Notre Dame? With that inside, the inside spin move, not the outside spin move we're used to from people. That inside spin move put that tackle in a blender. He didn't know yep. what he was doing. They're getting the most out of their guys. They're getting the most. Are they perfect? No. That's why I kind of joked and said I'd like to put Smith in his own. But what the returns we're getting from the defensive line so far are great. Yep. So, go ahead. I was going to say, um, then we got we have another category here that's like guys that are doing okay. Yeah. Um, you know, Vance Vice, it's, it's been very up and down. It's been up and down, right? Yeah. Um, we've had a couple good years, a great year, and then a couple bad years. Yeah. And and we're, we're in the midst of a bad year, and some of that is self-inflicted. Yes, that's the okay because because when you have good and bad stacked, you can't just throw somebody down and bad. Yeah, and, and he's done a pretty good job on the recruiting trail. Um, you got Coach Shybest in this in this category. Um, I think he does a, a a good job overall with the special teams. That that's been probably a standout unit for this team this year. It has um, to, to go along with uh, with the defense. Um, Adam Lechtenberg, I think he did a good job of of managing things last year. I think so far this year, mixed return, very um, mixed return. And I think I, it, it's it's hard it's hard to really give him a great grade, but at the same time, I I don't want to knock him because I see what the offensive line isn't getting done, and there's only so much that running backs can negate that, and there's only so much that a a coach can scheme for that for the running backs to negate that. Exactly. The last two are guys who are no longer with the program, but they did okay while they were here. And, and Charlie Wiles did probably better than okay. Um, you know, he was a defensive line coach. When the, the, there were steps back towards the end, but if, if you look at the, the the full body of work, sure. And, and same with Brian Mitchell. The time Brian Mitchell was here, um, he was okay. And they both are continuing to do a solid job down at NC State. So it's not like those guys left here and couldn't find a D2 job somewhere. They went to another prominent top 35, 40 program um, who are bumping right now. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that pick a little later, Brian, today. So they're the okay. They aren't knocking it out of the park, but they aren't falling flat on their face. And that goes to the bad. The falling flat on your face, looking terrible. And obviously, no. This is from Fuente's perspective, by, by the way. Fuente's perspective. Uh, There's a few guys on here we're putting on here for different reasons, and we'll explain why. But the first one's corn. After 2016 in that year, he has not had anything like it. Um, Close to it in 2017, but it was a regression. 2018 regression. 
little uptick in 2019, a little uptick in 2020, and then massive regression this year. Massive regression. And this is... He is absolutely dependent upon having talented skill position players Mm -hmm. on the field. Um, when, when he has talented, uh, players at the quarterback position and at the skilled positions, the The offense can look okay. He is not making players better. No, he's not. Whether it's the, at the quarterback position by developing them or whether it's at the, uh, play calling position of getting guys into areas where they can make a play. Yep. Absolutely not good at it. And somebody say, well, what about Herbert last year? Offensive line last year was dominant. And you know what? You saw what Khalil Herbert did today in the NFL. That kid's yep. talented. Yep. Over 100 yards from scrimmage, scored a touchdown. Um, David Montgomery might have a running back mate there for the rest of the season, as good as he looked. But that whole piece of there's no development. You can't hold your room together. You, you, you know – you, you you continuously overturn a guy, and then we see a guy in like Hooker literally go to Josh Heupel and is already looking exponentially better, and he was there a spring and a fall. And he was under you for, what, five? Yep. Because he came in early one year. He was early in 18 or 17. Anyway, a lot more time to develop in – Obviously, Corn couldn't get anything out of him, and he's the bad. If if there's someone that if in 2020 or 2019 Brad Cornelison had been fired, I think if we had a new OC and we had some struggles, you know what? I think part of the fan base would be like, hey, we, we have to give this guy another year. At least he made the decision to get rid of the bad piece and to try something different. Yeah, it's, it's the lack of accountability to guys that aren't cutting the mustard, especially the offensive guys. Um, I mean, let's move over. We can talk about Jafar. Yep. Um, I think I think that's been it. It just it hasn't been a good overall hire, especially considering who he is who he, who he was replacing. Oh yeah, um, who's also in this category for different reasons. Um, you know, I think Jafar has not made his unit better in the in the passing game. I think he does a pretty good job of getting them to work within the framework of the offense in terms of blocking and things like that. But I don't see year-on-year improvement at the receiver position that you would think you would see yeah. from guys like Trey and Tay um, for the time that they've been in the system. Um and, and and that goes back to coaching, and it goes back back to is Jafar getting the job done for them? And if he's not, why are you hanging on to him? Uh, friends, that's a friend. It's a friend from fifteen years ago, so it's someone he has a relationship with. Which which hires can happen like that, and we get it. But yeah. you know what? The guy he replaced. And let's jump up a little bit, Brian. Wiggins was the guy, even after. So he comes in, Ford, Hodges, Phillips all just produce, right? All those guys just absolutely produce. And then you get 2017, and you had like Sean Savoy. You had Cam continuing to produce. And, you know, it, it looked like, okay, this this is kind of 
this is the guy right here. We've got the guy that's going to, you know, be really good. And then 2018 comes, and as bad as 2018 was, you know, you sit back and Trey Turner's a freshman. Trey Turner, you know, breakout season, 500-plus yards, 20 receptions. You know, Hazleton has a breakout season. And it's like, wow, you know, this is really good. And Alabama comes calling. And to be very honest – as good as Holloman was, especially in 2018, with a transfer from Bowling Green and a true freshman in Trey Turner and Ryan Willis at quarterback with the way the rest of the team played, that man should have been made offensive coordinator right there. He would have got the same freaking pay he got at Alabama, and you would have put him in a better position. He would have killed two birds with one stone getting rid of Brad. So you, you hook corn, you put Holman Wiggins in there, and you keep it moving. And I'm with that. And let let while we're here, let's go ahead and pivot to the other side of the ball. We're, we're going to yeah. talk about both both safety coaches that, for <laughs> different reasons, um, were were sh- were shown the door. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Tori and Gray. The di- the disrespect in that situation still has not set well with a lot of folks in former players and things fans. like that. So uh, fans, I mean, it, it it's it's tough. It's tough seeing him doing other things at other schools. Well, going to the pros, uh, having some success with the um, Washington football team while he was there. I mean just letting a guy like that walk come on you said it when we first started this thing a couple years ago brian i you said i understand you want to get your guy paid but you cannot do it at the cost of a guy who has this reputation he had been at tech for right at 10 years he had put countless people in the league he was respected as probably one of the best defensive back coaches and he ran he ran the whole shop yep he ran dbs he ran safeties and, you know, it's and, a and his DBs and safeties played with the chip. They play with a the chip. They played mean. And the whole piece wasn't, you know, it's your staff, but be smart. If you're keeping this, his salary shouldn't have changed. He should have never been asked to take a pay cut. That's all that had to happen. Yep. That's all that had to happen. If he don't ask him to take a pay cut. um, And it's, and it's completely cool if you would have had, him just coach the corners and let Galen coach the safeties. I think they probably could have worked it out. I think knowing, you know, those guys, I think that could have worked out. But again, it's that whole piece of you let go of this guy. And then we had a struggle and go find Brian Mitchell, you know, late in the process. It, it shows you kind of, it was early on. And I'm sure I might have quoted, tweeted something favorable towards the new head coach. Hindsight's 2020. It's stupid. Um, I don't remember that far back. I'm sorry. If you want to dig through my tweets and call me out, whatever, I, it doesn't matter to me. I've, we've all said stupid things, and calling somebody else just funny. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. 
a bunch of lies were told in 2016 and in 2017 that exactly don't look good now um let's go to the last guy though because his is the most controversial situation galen scott of everybody that went they brought with him galen scott is on par with holloman they looked real deal day one yep the way they recruited the way their coaches played well they're not their, the way their players played player the played play. yeah um and, and galen was doing a really good job on the recruiting trail wasn't he he was <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it's one of those things though brian you know <laughs> it was scummy it was trashy reality though and he was let go for it it was one of those things could he have been retained yeah and i think some people would have had an uproar other people would have been like yeah i know when it happened is when it happened but you know i'm sure that was during his personal time on the road trip i don't condone it it's scummy it's a crappy thing to do but it's one of those things you let him go and, you know, you essentially set numerous things back because reality, I think, also you heard Bud talk about him too, how about how he felt good about Galen. Yep. It probably would have been a much smoother transition to a new defensive coordinator. Um, and I, and everybody's like, well, why'd y'all put that on bad? What he did was terrible. He should have been fired. I have a feeling that if you go look at most coaching staffs around the country, what do you think, Brian? You think everybody's choir boys? Uh, I, I'd say that the scenario that played out here has probably happened on at least a third of college campuses in America. It just, it, it is what it is. And, you know, when when you have it get put out there the way it was, it definitely makes it a little more salacious. Um, so it is what it is. Um, but de- definitely one of those things that you know is another red mark against uh, Fuente. So I mean, now we come to it, man. Um, I mean, we're, we're building a case here, and I mean, we built the case last year. We built it again this year. We need to move on. It's time. It's and time. I, and, and I what, what I know a lot of people are like, right now, right now, right now, I'm fine with December. And you want to know why, Brian? Because $4 million is going to do a hell of a lot for the new head coach, building a recruiting staff, hopefully paying offensive and defensive coordinators at more top 25 levels. But, I, but I'm dumb. And, and somebody's like, well, what if he wins some games? If you can literally with a straight face, a straight face, tell us we're going to win six in a row and we're going to make the ACC championship or we're going to go nine and three. Please DM us. We will have you on Wednesday night to state your case. Yep. Because I, I, I see us struggling with Syracuse. I see us being a grind against Georgia Tech. Again, the only game I see on the schedule that I – feel comfortable putting a W next to without the game being played as Duke. That's it. That's it. it. And when you're at this point, 60 years into a regime, 
the head man has to go. I will say this. I think there are two to three guys on this staff that the next head coach should fight tooth and nail to keep. Yeah, and you know the, the question is going to be, obviously, I think two of them will be easier uh, pulls. Uh, Smith and J.C. Price should be ones that are pretty easy to retain if you – see a spot for them in in the new uh with the new regime uh obviously the situation with uh coach ham is a little different uh just because he is the defensive coordinator um and when you do a break that we're talking about here it's going to be hard to retain a young defensive coordinator because more than likely that it's not going to be who the new guy wants to put in that place. He might be willing to give him a position role. And and at that point you get into, all right, well, is someone going to take a pay cut and a demotion in order to stay with their alma mater. And that, that that's a hard ask for anybody, especially with the, the product that the defense is putting out this year. I think coach Hamilton is going to have some other opportunities yes. at defensive coordinator. He is. Um, you know, once we move on from the Fuente regime. So exactly. So that's going to be the toughest piece because I think JC and Ryan are going to stay. I don't, I don't think that's going to even be a question. Um, But the, the hand piece is the tough piece because from where we were last year to where we have come this year, it is light years. And normally you do not see that. Normally guys who start rough, you normally don't see a guy go from the 100s into the somewhere between about 35 and 25. Usually you see where he's 100 this year, now we're in the 80s, and now we're in the 50s, three yep. years later. It shows you in the adjustment he makes really good on the fly, and I think that's a sign of a true great defensive coordinator. So, again, y'all, we've given you the arc. And, and this is what I told Brian, and, and if I get lambasted for it, I'll get lambasted for it. You can do four out of these. You can you can screw up on game day a lot. You can make bad situational calls. You can choose to go for one when you should have went for two. You can be slower with your adjustments. That's okay. Fuente on that Saturday night. But the other four are what really makes up how great you can be. Yep, it's true. And and and, and what and what we talk we 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 brought up Frank Brown. And Frank sometimes some game days we weren't on. Some of the decisions he made we did not agree with. Yep. But. Overall, for Frank Beamer, from 1993 roughly to the early part of the 2010s, everything else clicked. Everything else clicked. Yep. He let guys go when he needed to let guys go, you know, even though he wanted him to fire Steinspring a lot sooner than he did. And then he brought in Loeffler and it made us want Steinspring back. But. <laughs> He, he was slow to let go of friends, but he did the other things well where 
And he was producing for the majority of that time, even when he was loyal to his friends. So, you know, some of that gets a little bit of a pass because you're putting a good product out on the field. You're not seeing the ramifications of it. We didn't start seeing the ramifications of holding on to Steinspring until we started to see a dip in other areas, like in recruiting. Yep. Very true, man. Very true. All right, Brian, before we uh, close it out here tonight, um, Saturday Pickums, uh, you were a coin flip again? At least I'm back in uh, <laughs> in at least 50-50. Um, and I went seven and three again. Yeah, uh, come on, man. You're putting some distance between me now. Hey, I, you know, and, and where it's getting where it's getting you is uh, in the, the the games we picked against each other, one and three versus three and one. Um, you know, we got this Friday night game right. Clemson should not be double digit favorite against anybody. Um, we got the GQVA game right, even though I don't think I foresaw a forty burger to nothing. Yeah, I thought I thought Gunner might keep it a little closer than that. Wow, what a slide. You see it? Yeah. Wow. Um Miami UNC, we both were wrong on. Um Miami showed signs of life offensively. Defensively it looked worse. You nailed the BCNC State game. Nailed it. Um that's we the only put, one I nailed, though. <laughs> hey, but you still nailed it. If you had, you know, put some money just on that game, you would have won. Uh, the Okie State-Texas game, Texas still not back. Okie State looking like potentially Bedlam could be crazy at the end of next month because I, you know, I think Okie State's got Iowa State left, but Iowa State wasn't what they were last year. Um, BYU-Baylor, Baylor wins that one. BYU shows that they were a fraud. Um, who wants Gus Malzahn to be a head coach here? Anybody? Bueller? No. Bueller? No. Absolutely doors blown off by Cincinnati. Cincinnati inching closer and closer towards he's safe. He never touched him. Uh towards uh the uh the uh playoff, the pick'em game, Utah beats Arizona State. And Tennessee Ole Miss, I, I'm sure you were hoping for that last drive for something to happen. By the way, did you see the Lane Kiffin catch the water bottle? Yeah. <laughs> that was impressive. That was impressive. And and it's impressive because I think there were, like, reporters or somebody behind him that if he hadn't caught it, it would have just wiped them clean. And then Kentucky, Georgia, Brian, we got that one right, too. Um, almost on a number. We 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 both said something like what thirty. I think I said thirty one fourteen, and I think you were yeah. like twenty eight ten. Nail that one. So, you know, overall record, Brian's at thirty five and thirty seven. I moved to forty and thirty two. Anything breaking in the last oh god hour and thirty minutes? My Braves are trying to knot it up at the eighth here. We'll see how this goes. Exactly. But if nothing else is broken tonight, y'all, we'll go look here. We hope that this helped you get some of your frustrations out. It definitely helped Ben Ayers out. Uh, 
talking about this stuff tonight. Um, and that'll wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com. To listen to all of our episodes, go back, listen to the Liberty episode from last year or the pit episode from last year where we verbally state, fire this man. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like pit for me every year is the pivotal game where I say no more, no mas, no mas. Is that gone? Is that gone? Nope, but I think y'all just tied it. Oh, it's going to be a play at the play. He is safe. High ball game. Yes, sir. While you are there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast. Or just go to Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We let Jason Long play us in, play us out every week. Check him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okies. Okay.